VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. In this economy, are you making the money you could be making? Welcome to High Yield with your hosts, Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. The old ways don't work anymore, so let Frank and Dave help you find new high-yielding opportunities. You can start by tuning in for the next hour. Now, here's Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. Welcome to High Yield, the show that explores all the great high-yielding things you can do in this troubled economy. This is Frank Roth. I'm here today with Dave Reynolds, as always. And today we're going to be talking about real estate due diligence. Now, one thing that all real estate has in common, whether it's single family, multifamily, mobile home park, RV park, billboards, office buildings, self-storage, industrial hotel, the list is endless. All forms of commercial real estate, what they all have in common is the importance of due diligence. If you blow due diligence, basically you can never make a profit, no matter how much risk you take or how hard you try. So in today's show, we're going to go over due diligence because since commercial real estate is one high-yield opportunity, a subset of that, as far as making a high-yield on that commercial real estate, is doing proper due diligence. So today's show is devoted to nothing but doing due diligence on commercial real estate. And we're going to go over a bunch of items here. We're also going to go over a bunch of things that can go wrong if you don't watch over those items. Uh, show you different ways of doing diligence and different resources at your disposal. So uh, let's start off, Dave, with, with a title okay. and, and title work. Sure. And, you know, the title policy that you get, you know, you basically you go out, you, you, know, you put a piece of property under contract. You know, in your contract you'll have a clause in there that basically says, you know, the seller agrees to provide you, you know, you know free and clear title. And so then you go to the title company and you order a title commitment. And in that title commitment, they'll you know, have a list of all the you know, you know different defects of title or you know requirements before you know they'll issue a you know a standard form you know Alta title policy, which uh, gives you uh, you know the, the clear title and you know clears up any items. And so you know that first commitment that's very very important that you review that, and then you review all the uh, you know the documents that go along with the title policy. You know all the exception documents. And you know each each one of those line items will have documents behind it. And you know if you're if you're not a you know specialist in reviewing title work and title documents, then you definitely need to have an attorney review this because you know the the last thing you want to do is you know buy a piece of property where you don't have the you know free and clear title. You don't have the easement to you know drive into your property, or there's some encroachments or things like that. So you know it's very very important. Right. And the, uh, the next one is the survey. And what is the survey? The survey is basically the proof. It's the document that shows exactly what on the ground you are buying. So there's different types of surveys. There's a, a boundary survey, which is the most simplistic, all the way up to a full Alta survey where such items as the utility lines are even identified where they are and how deep they are. But the key to the survey, whether it's a boundary or an ultra, is that you need one. You know, if you buy something without a survey... What can happen to you is you won't know that you're actually buying the property you think you're buying. Because when you buy property, you normally just get some legal descriptions of meets and bounds and property corners. But what if you don't know where those corners are exactly? What do you do then? Because you, you bought the property, and yes, they have 
got the t- title that they've described and they've properly transferred it to you. And then it turns out you thought you were buying a motel and all you ended up buying was a piece of the motel and then an empty field next door to the motel. So this survey is an all-important tool if you want to make sure you're buying the right piece of property. All right. The next item is, you know, basically has to do with, you know, the floodplain and wetlands issues. Um, on your survey, you know, first of all, it should show that, you know, whether or not the property is in a floodplain. But prior to ever going out and, you know, buying a survey and spending the money on a survey, you can go to the FEMA website, you know, and, you know, look look up your address and, and all of that, and you can actually find out, you know, whether it is in a floodplain and what type of floodplain it's in, you know, if it's in a 100-year or 500-year um, you know, type of floodplain. So that's something that you should do right away. You know, probably right be, you know, before you ever tie up the property because you don't want to you know buy a property that isn't a floodplain if that's not something that you're willing to take the risk on. Right. Um, and you know, buying a property in a floodplain, well, you know, you, you may never think it floods or it's going to flood. Um, you know, you just never know. And you know, it's very you know, it, it could be very risky. And if you can't get flood insurance on that property. No, it's probably something in your diligence that you may or may you may not want to you know, go forward with. Right, and and I'll go over wetlands since it just came up with us on a deal which we we were unfamiliar with it uh, really in the past. It's something new that a lot of lenders are now looking into. What a wetlands is is whenever you have a property that uh, borders you know a river or a stream or even a lake. There is some concern by those folks who are really into the environment that you're somehow going to damage the ecosystem and small mammals and fish and reptiles that live in those marshy areas that you know might be some kind of endangered species. So they now make you do a wetlands report. What it basically does is it assures the government, it assures the Corps of Engineers that you're not going to be eliminating this 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 kind of wildlife. Uh, it's not something every property needs. In fact, when we were doing it just recently on some deals, there was argument among those guys that do those wetland studies whether the property needed it at all. So even they are a little unclear because it's kind of a new concept. But it's something you should ask about. You might ask your surveyor uh, if you need a wetland study. And again, it's not something you would need buying property out in the desert. But if you're on some form of water, you might check into that. All right. And the next item is, you know, basically a phase one study. And, um, you, know, you know, Frank has all kinds of stories on phase ones. But, you know, basically a phase one is, uh, you know, it's kind of a requirement on any commercial property. Um, you know, you can even do it on a residential property if you want to. But, you know, the phase one is basically protects you against prior environmental contamination that you're unaware of. So it's a you know, very, very important um, you know, item, and it's something we get on every property that we purchase. And you know, I'll, I'll let Frank tell one of his uh, yeah, phase those, one stories. Those, those are those are coming up, Dave. So don't worry. Oh, okay. Those, those will be coming up. So okay. Okay. Ne- next is the property condition report, and this is something that uh, often a lender is the one who makes you do this. Or, but you know, even without the lender urging you, it's not a bad idea to have an expert go out and tell you what condition the property is in. You know, most everyone is familiar with this single-family homes, because virtually everyone who's ever bought a single-family home went out and got that single-family, you know, property report where the guy comes out and looks in your attic in your basement. But, you know, you need that kind of report on commercial properties, too. I mean, you can't just go out and buy a giant office building and assume that everything is fine. So, you know, a property condition report is basically a report by someone who is licensed and supposedly an expert in such items, and he tells you just exactly what's wrong, whether it's termite damage or rust or... The foundation's gone bad, whatever the case might be. 
Right. And the next item is, you know, verifying the income and the expenses. And, you know, this is something that, you know, is very, very important. You know, if you take the, uh, you know, the property package, you know, the package the broker sends you, and look at that, you know, you know, it looks all rosy and all of that, but what you need to do as part of your diligence is go through and verify, you know, basically every every line item on there and get it all back to, you know, what what is it actually doing today, not what is it what can it be doing, you know, two years from now with you know, you doing everything that brokers assuming, you have to verify everything. Um, you know, as to what it's doing today and you know, do that, you know, via rent rolls, via possibly estoppel certificates. Where you basically have the residents, you know, sign off. Yeah, I pay this much rent. This is my security deposit, and you know, these are any special, you know, rental concessions I have. Um, you know, verify the bank statements, um, P and Ls, tax returns. You know, it's basically tying all that together to make sure it all um, matches up to you know what the broker's presenting or you know what you're 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 basing your buying decision on. So you have to verify, um, you know. Yeah, all the expense items, all the income items. Yeah, you know, it's kind of uh, weird, which Dave and I have found, is it's a lot easier to verify the expenses on a commercial property than on a single family because all those protections that they screen you from giving you data claiming it's violations of private, you know, information, those seem to go away when you're doing a commercial property. So when we're out looking, for example, at a mobile home park, we can actually call up the water company that serves the park and ask them for a spreadsheet of all the bills for the last year or two years or something, and they happily give it to you, no questions asked. So verifying expenses, we find is a lot easier on commercial property than anything else. And we also found that we can actually go in there and verify with huge accuracy every inch of any property. The only thing we really can never truly verify 100% is just the deposits because you know there are certain ways you can cheat on that to some degree. But on the expense side, we can basically back up every single line item with an actual either a, a, a summation of what it's been in the past or a bid going forward. So you definitely always want to verify your income and expenses and not listen to what the broker and seller tell you because obviously they're not unbiased. They want to make the sale. Uh, next up is studying the market. You know, when you, Whenever you buy real estate, you're buying a little piece of the market that you're buying it in because that, that self-storage facility... You know, it's the same self-storage facility, whether it's in, you know, Pennsylvania or California or Arizona. It's the same building, same construction, same everything. But what makes them different values is where they're located at. And you've always heard the expression location, location, location in real estate. So you need to know that you've got a good location, that that market's got a great future to it. You know, we're going to go over some examples in a bit, but obviously the primo example that would come in uh, uh, just to get you thinking about location would be imagine if you had bought a self-storage facility in 1975 in Detroit and where you would be today, right? You know, the whole auto industry collapses. People leave Detroit in droves. You can't give anything away. But at that time, back in, you know, in, in the 70s, it might have seemed like the greatest location in the world because the auto industry was just booming. Today, not so good. So obviously the market is extremely important and understanding your market and making sure that that's a market that's got good things going on is absolutely key to, to making money with commercial real estate. Right, and the next item is basically, you know, doing the comps and, you know, you know, kind of along with checking the market, you know, you wanna, you know, if you're buying a, you know, a, a mobile home park, you, you need to verify, you know, what, what are all the uh, other mobile home parks charging and, you know, what are the, what's the occupancy there? 
you know, if you're buying a, you know, a, a hotel, you want to find out what you know other people are charging. Um, so you, you need to verify whatever you know, type of asset you're buying. You need to verify all the you know, other similar types of assets as well as you know other types of competing assets. You know, like if you're you know buying a you know an apartment building and you know you want to check what the comps are for other apartments, for single family homes, for mobile home park rents. Um, so you need to verify you know on all different levels, um, you know all those different comps. Right. Uh, the next one is getting a handle on everything we just told you going forward, looking into the future, looking into your crystal ball, because, you know, you want it to forecast and get a handle on, you know, will my income on the property be going up because the market's strong and because my comps are higher than my rents, or will my income theoretically go down in the future, right? Let's, let's say you have a, you're looking at buying a, a little commercial building that's got a jack-in-the-box in it. And at least it's coming due in two years. The, key, the question is not, what does that thing make today? The question would be, when, when that lease comes up in two years, what will Jack in the Box do? Will they stay in the building or will they leave? Is the location good or is the location terrible? And if they stay in the building, will they pay more rent or will they want a rent concession? So, you, you know, it's one thing to figure out what your income and expenses are and your location and all those items today. That's super important to make sure you're buying it right but it's it's equally important to say what those things will be doing in the future because if you if you guess wrong or you don't even think about the future going back to the jack in the box example you know you've you've paid big money and you've got a 30 year mortgage on the jack in the box building and two years later jack in the box says oh this this is our worst location in the entire chain we're we're abandoning it what the heck are you going to do so you have to be able to look not only in the current but also out in the, into the future okay all right, and the the last idea, you know, thing is you have to just double check everything you've done before, um, you know, many many times. Yeah, um, Dave, Dave is a master of that with his CPA background, so right. Dave double checks everything one thousand times, whether it's tying his shoes or dialing the phone, and uh, and that's why it's worked so well, and that's why he's been so great at everything, is because he's always double checking and triple checking, and that's a key item in in this is that you always want to double and triple check. And on that note, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll be back in a minute, and we'll go over some more due diligence. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If you are looking for the highest yielding niches in real estate, then go to Commercial Real Estate University at CREUniversity.com. This website is devoted to exploring the few niches of real estate that can still generate 20% plus returns on your money and offers you college-quality courses on how to locate, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around, and operate the hottest sectors of real estate today mobile home parks billboards rv parks and self-storage all of the materials are written and produced by frank rolf and dave reynolds based on their experiences in over 150 million dollars of real estate bought and sold if you're looking for real estate investments that make more than low single digits, and if you're looking for 100% facts with no sales pitch, then go to CREUniversity.com or call 800-950-1364. That number again is 800-950-1364. Or visit the website at CREUniversity.com. The affordability gap in this country is considerable. 
There are simply not enough affordable places to live for the millions of lowest income households. Jeff Mueller of Marcus and Millichap is one of the nation's top manufactured housing community brokers. As a specialist in the manufactured housing industry, please contact Jeff Mueller to help capitalize on the growing demand of affordable housing. Whether you're an investor looking to achieve double-digit returns or an owner considering expanding your position through a tax-deferred exchange, Jeff Mueller can help. Please call Jeff at 303-328-2049. That's 303-328-2049. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to High Yield with Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. If you have a question or comment about our program this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to frank.rolf at gmail.com. Now, back to High Yield. Welcome back to High Yield. Today we're going over due diligence. We've talked about the basic elements of due diligence, and now we're going to go into some horror stories, and that we'd like to say we're not telling you these horror stories to scare you or to make you not want to buy commercial real estate because we think it's a very high-yield possibility for you. What we're instead trying to do is we're trying to help you get encouraged to buy it by showing you what can go wrong so you know to avoid that. You know, a lot of people are afraid to do things because they, they fear the unknown, and they don't really know, and they can't get comfortable with, you know, are they forgetting something that would make the deal go bad? So we're not giving you this list in order to, to suck the energy out of you. We're doing this to stick the energy into you to be able to buy things and feel like you have a mastery of it. So here, here we go. These are, these are things that, that can go bad if you don't do good due diligence. The first one is basically buying the Golden Gate Bridge. You all have heard the the joke or the stories of people who actually were dumb enough, particularly back in the 1930s and 40s, to, you know, a guy would come up to them and say, do you want to buy the Golden Gate Bridge? I'll sell it to you for 5000 bucks," And they would do it thinking, what a great deal, not realizing that the guy they paid the money to did not actually own it. So that, that goes back to your title work as far as affirming that the person that you are buying it from actually owns what you think you're buying. But, you know, what can go wrong if you don't do good diligence is you can theoretically pay money and not end up with the asset, which would be obviously a doomsday scenario there. Uh, this, this next one I'll do, Dave, just because it's, it's my story of my own, own stupidity. <laughs> and then I'll let you do the next one, which is your, your story of not your stupidity, but what can go wrong. Uh, you know, what can happen in life if you don't have a survey and understand the survey is you can buy the wrong property. And that's what I did. I actually did that in real life, mobile home park in Springfield, Missouri. What happened was I, I had an expensive law firm, and their job, their only job, was to make sure that all the documents were perfect for the closing. We used them on every deal, and they were supposed to read the title and know the title and look at the survey and know the survey and all that kind of stuff. So that was, that was their role, and that was just to make sure that we didn't make any errors. So that's, that's what they were doing. So basically, we buy this mobile home park in Springfield, Missouri, and it's going great, and then we come up to refinancing the park, and the bank says, wait, we have a problem. It's not, uh, this is not 
work it out. You, you don't own that park. Well, we were, I was incensed. Of course I own the park. It's impossible I don't own the park. But, in fact, we didn't own the park. We had a third of the park we didn't own. The attorney had never matched the survey to the title. He just assumed, as most people would, that the survey was fine because it's a big commercial property. And so he just assumed it was all okay. He had never actually checked the, the meets and bounds of the title to the survey. Had he done that, he would have seen that we were not buying the entire property shown on the survey, but only buying two-thirds of it. Now, in the end, another attorney was able to solve it and go to the neighbor and through arguments of adverse possession and litigation, just they just went ahead and deeded it over to us, which was a godsend. But, you know, without a survey, you can theoretically buy the wrong property. Right. And, then, you know, the next item is, you know, buying a property that's in a floodplain. You know, we, you know I have a story on this one. You know, we were uh, actually buying a mobile home park down in San Antonio, Texas, and um, you know, basically went down there, you know, the, the park was located right next to the river. Um, and, you know, so one of the, the big items that came up was, you know, we asked the seller, you know, is this property in a floodplain? And, you know, come to find out the seller, well, you know, the seller basically said no, and he provided a, you know, a map of the floodplain and where the property was on the survey. And so we, you know, proceeded along and um, you know, had a survey done, and it didn't say anything. It show anything on, uh, about the floodplain. The title work didn't show anything about the floodplain. Um, you know, went ahead and bought the property, and uh, you know, about 30 days later, the property's uh, got about three and a half foot of water. You know, throughout. You know, it's basically completely ruined. Um, so uh, you know, we we you know the. the we had to go back against the seller, uh, back against the title company, and against the surveyor. And you know, basically, they were the the, the seller had altered the floodplain map um, to sell the property. The surveyor bought off on it. The title company bought off on it. So they were all liable. Um, so it was, you know, a, a case of the seller actually altering a floodplain map. And you know, had we actually checked check that, you know, independently, which you know you would think a surveyor should be independent. Um, you know, had we checked the you know the FEMA website, we would have never had that problem. But you know, it's just a, a, another you know case of you just can't always trust what the seller's doing. Right, exactly. And this next one is the story Dave was alluding to earlier on phase one stories. And I'll try and abbreviate it because we don't have infinite time and it's an infinitely long story. But the bottom line is a friend of mine during the great uh, savings loan crisis back in the late 80s bought a shopping center, a big shopping center for almost nothing. And the reason he was able to buy it so cheap was it, it had environmental contamination. In fact, they knew the contamination. It was from a dry cleaner. So the gamble was how much will it take and how long will it take to get it cleaned up. So, and, I, and I'm going to forget the numbers at this point, but I believe the original estimate was they could clean the property in a matter of months and it would cost, I want to say, a quarter of a million dollars. I think that was what it was. The long and the short of it is to this day, today even, and this has been, what, Dave, now 20-something years later, uh, it, it's still not clean. Um, what's happened is they, you know, dry cleaning fluid is the biggest carcinogen there is in real estate and in, in the world, and they can't get it to, uh, to go away because they keep pulling up core samples, and it has to be a cert- to a certain parts per million, and they can't get it there because it, it just it's, it seems it seemed an endless pit. Uh, as far as money spent, I think they've probably spent well over a million dollars at this point. It's still not clean. That means they can't refight and they can't sell it. 
So the moral is, you know, you, you always want to do that phase one. You don't want to be in that boat. You don't want to have a contaminated property. You want to have something that's nice and clean and no environmental contamination so you can sell it and refinance it if you want. And I guess this next one goes back to me again. Uh, the, uh, the, you know, buying a property that's ravaged by, let's say, termites or something because you don't get a property condition report. Uh, and one this story was, I, I used to live in a neighborhood in Dallas that had a lot of homes built in the 1920s and 30s, and they were all pretty large. And there was one that people had wanted to buy, but it was owned by the original owner, and it looked like a, like a Tudor castle-looking thing. So it suddenly comes on the market. Well, so many people had wanted to buy it over the years that the broker had this kind of hard-sell deal. You know, like no exam period, you just buy this house. And fortunately, a guy that I know said, well, I can't do it, no exam. That's impossible. But you've got to give me at least a one-day one exam. And the long and the short of it is he brought in a guy to look at it. And, in fact, when they went down in the basement and under this thing with flashlights, they found that over all those years, the termites had eaten these giant beams that hold the house up. So there was really nothing even holding this giant house up, but just the inertia of all the bricks and mortar and pieces holding together. So can you imagine if you'd bought the house and had not had that checked in advance? What would happen to you? I mean, you, you would have bought this gigantic house, which was a piece of junk, it would cost you a fortune if you even could fix it. So, again, you always have to do that property condition report. For sure. Okay, uh, you know, the next item, you know, it's probably your story again, Frank, as well, but, you know, it's basically buying a property with no revenue, you know, buying a property that, um, you know, you may have some supposed revenue, but, you know, there's actually things that are going on where you actually, you know, have no right to collect any revenue from it. Right, and I'll, and I'll tell that story. I don't mean to monopolize the story, Dave. The next several I know are stories you've got. But the uh, this, this was a mobile home park down in San Angelo, Texas, and the problem was that the the seller of the park had been bringing homes in illegally, claiming that they were occupied when they were, in fact, vacant, and falsifying his financials. And what happened was, and this, this had a sad ending, the guy bought the park without doing any due diligence. Had he done even the most basic diligence, like just checked make sure that, that the power meters were spinning, he would have caught the cheat. He did nothing. He bought it, just nothing more. He, he was a Californian, and he just bought this mobile home park down in Texas without ever verifying a darn thing. He, like, flew out there, drove through it, said, yeah, it looks good to me. And he was caught with a park that had basically no tenants, even though he thought it was, you know, had maybe 80, 80 tenants in it. So you always have to check your revenue. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the next item is actually can, you know, work in your favor. And this is, you know, buying a property where the expenses are just out of control, um, you know, where the seller's expense expense ratio are, you know, you know, maybe he's writing off, you know, way too many things or, or you know, he just, you know, has a, a ton of waste. You know, maybe he's, you know, paying somebody too much or whatever. And, you know, in, in this case and in a lot of cases that we, you know, properties we've bought, you know, we look at the financials and, you know, if you just look at the financials, they're absolutely horrible and you would never even consider buying that property. But, you know, once you get, you know, accustomed to reviewing financials for whatever asset type you're looking at, you'll see these, uh, you know, these these type of items that are just, you know, overstated or, you know, you see, oh, you know, I could, I could change that. And, you know, this was on a, you know, a, you know, another mobile home park that we bought and, uh, 
you know, basically the the owner was you know you know he had a crew in there that was you know running the park you know the, the manager was making like a hundred thousand a year and had all these maintenance people and um you know so their their expenses on just management was about two hundred thousand a year and their you know gross revenue was about four hundred thousand a year so you know, half of their revenue was you know covered up by uh, management and you know employment expenses, which you know we cut you know immediately to well under a hundred thousand you know on day one, which you know turned that property around you know and and made it you know worth you know actually double what we paid for it you know just by that one line that right. one line item removing it. All right, next one, which is a story that both Dave and I know well, because we both look at the same, uh, in this case, mobile home park, but it's there There are some markets out there that are notoriously terrible, but you don't know that for sure up front when you first look at it. One is the, the town known as Duncan, Oklahoma, uh, which is one of the home bases of Halliburton, uh, and properties in that city, unless it's changed in recent times, have been huge feast or famine. When Halliburton's hiring, they do well. When Halliburton is firing, you can't give anything away. And there's other markets like that. There's Bartlesville, Oklahoma, land of Phyllis Petroleum, who, in fact, one day said, hey, we're leaving Bartlesville, and the entire town imploded because it was 98% of all the employment in the town. So basically, the bottom line is you, you've got to know your market really well, or you can get stuck in a, in a real problem. And I think, Dave, I think we have to go to break here, but when we get back, we're going to finish a few more uh, bad stories, and then move on to some great stories on due diligence. And this, again, is Frank Roth and Dave Reynolds with High Yield, and we'll, we'll be right back in a minute. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. If you are looking for the highest yielding niches in real estate, then go to Commercial Real Estate University at CREUniversity.com. This website is devoted to exploring the few niches of real estate that can still generate 20% plus returns on your money and offers you college-quality courses on how to locate, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around, and operate the hottest sectors of real estate today mobile home parks billboards rv parks and self-storage all of the materials are written and produced by frank rolf and dave reynolds based on their experiences in over 150 million dollars of real estate bought and sold if you're looking for real estate investments that make more than low single digits and if you're looking for 100 percent facts with no sales pitch then go to creuniversity.com or call 800-950-1364. That number again is 800-950-1364. Or visit the website at CREUniversity.com. Hi, I'm Kurt Kelly, President of Mobile Insurance. Mobile is a specialty investment property insurance agency. Parks, self-storage facilities, rental properties, commercial buildings. We offer the coverage you need explained clearly, and low rates. Call us at 800-458-4320 or visit us at mobileagency.com because we understand how to insure investment properties. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to High Yield with Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. 
If you have a question or comment about our program this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to frank.rolf at gmail.com. Now, back to High Yield. Welcome back to High Yield. Today we're going over all things due diligence and the High Yield potential of doing good due diligence on a commercial property. And we're going to be jumping right back into our list of, of horror stories of things that can happen if you don't do good diligence. Uh, this next one is buying a property in a market that, that is all screwed up in the rents. And this is one that I've become fascinated with in Chicago because I go to Chicago you know, whenever I'm about a six-hour drive, so my wife loves Chicago. So on any special event, anniversaries, whatever it may be, we we pack up the car and we drive to Chicago. And what's fascinating about Chicago is, if you've ever been to Chicago, the nicest part of Chicago is called the Gold Coast. It's right there. It look, looks out on the, the Great Lakes, and it's in the best part of town. But it has this secret kind of cancer growing in it, which is that the rents are all screwed up. Basically, Chicago had a huge market correction a while back when the, uh, when the bubble burst on home values. And you can pretty much rent any condo on the Gold Coast, I mean, unbelievable things, for around $2,000 a month. Now, the problem is they used to rent, those same condos used to rent for five and $6,000 a month. So what do you do? Well, if you were buying a condo or looking at buying an investment condo as a rental property, imagine what will happen when your, rent, when your lease ultimately ends. You know, some of the leases are multi-year, and some are one year, and some are month to month. And the only thing that really holds people into their old rent amounts on some units is they just like their view, or they don't really want to move. But, you know, basically, most every condo that's rented in Chicago, unless it's happened recently, is upside down by maybe as much as 50%. So, you know, if you, again, you just have to, in your due diligence, make sure that that market is a good and strong market. All right. The next item is, you know, buying a property that, you know, you may be in a market that's, you know, on the verge of collapse, you know, due to, you know, some type of unforeseen changes like, you know, a major employer is moving out like the Duncan, Oklahoma example, or, you know, you know, if we could talk about the Detroit market, you know, you know, the properties are, you know, in a horrible condition in Detroit. So, you know, just really, you know, back to the market and, uh, you know, you know, the one ho- one horse towns where you know, one employer is you know, controlling the whole market. You just have to be very careful on those type of markets. Right. I mean, you know, going forward, just as an example, you, you would want to be very careful in military based towns because we're, we're on the verge of doing some giant changes in defense spending. And that means we may go back to having base closures, base scale back. So, you know, just you just have to really have your finger on the pulse of the market. And our last item is good old Ben Franklin's quote that was, diligence is the mother of good luck. You know, what did that mean? It meant that Benjamin Franklin back in the 1700s, don't know if he invested in real estate or not. No, he was a printer and did other items. But what it means is that, that, you know, the way good things happen to you in investing or anything in life is by doing really good due diligence. So if you want to succeed... Diligence is the best way to have good luck in whatever you do. Uh, now we're going to go on and talk about people who do really great due diligence that you should kind of copy if you can. These are, these are a couple of people here you'd want to follow around when you buy real estate because wherever they go seems to always be a good spot. And you know the first one is uh, you know basically Walmart. You know Walmart. You know you know has this you know, huge team of you know you know tracking you know markets and you know where where buildings going to go on and you know if they build a store there you know we'll 
will other things come out, you know, to that area? Um, you know, I, I think they're probably, you know, at least in the top, you know, one or two out there as far as, you know, doing good diligence on markets and, you know, where to build their new stores and everything. So, you know, when you're out there buying a property and, you know, you see a new Walmart being built or, you know, there's a Walmart there, you know, it's probably a good indication that that property in that area is uh, is good, you know, for, you know, depending on, you know, depending on what you're buying, you know, if you're, you know, it may be different for, you know, an office type building as compared to a affordable housing or something, but, you know, there's, you know, Walmart is definitely a good indicator of, you know, what you should follow. Right. I'll give you a quick Walmart story. Uh, going back to the park in Springfield, Missouri, that you know we bought two thirds of, and then in a panic was able to get the last third. When we bought that mobile home park, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was it was basically just farmland, and then across the street were some pretty rough and tumble commercial buildings, including an adult bookstore. So not a not a happening glamorous area at all. But, you know, after we bought the mobile home park, lo and behold, they start building a super Walmart down in the corner, not not next to us, not even a little down, but quite a ways down, you know, maybe a, I don't know if we were a mile down, but, ooh, you know, not, not next door to us. They start building this new super Walmart. And, you know, I thought, cool, they're building a super Walmart. That's neat. That's got to be good because my customers at the mobile home park would shop at Walmart. And then, of course, they build a Dollar General next to that. And, uh, you know, that's great, but still, you know, it's still an empty field next to me and across from me and down from me. And then suddenly I see all these signs popping up, you know, land for sale, you know, from from realtors. So I basically, I I call one of them and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm curious, you know, what's the deal with all the land for sale? And the guy says, well, I mean, you got land? I said, yeah, I've got the mobile home park. He goes, well, I can sell off your front section of your mobile home park to a depth of 400 feet, because that's how much commercial zoning in Springfield they give you uh, for, I forgot how much it is a square foot, but way more than than, than the park was worth as far as that, that space. And what had happened is, you know, when, when they built the Walmart, because I, I don't know anything about real estate development, I, I thought that maybe all those land for sale signs meant, you know, people who want to be near Walmart like Dollar General did. But that wasn't what was going on. What happened was Walmart wasn't causing the boom. Walmart was the symbol of the boom. So basically, the fact that Walmart went in isn't what caused prices to go up. They went up because of supply and demand and the fact the area was hot. And Walmart just went in there because they go into hot areas. So, you know, here this Walmart pops up, suddenly everything goes berserk in that area of Springfield. And, you know, again, Walmart had done such a great job of due diligence <clears throat> that they knew that that would, you know, very short order would be booming there. Uh, the other is McDonald's, which is, is very similar to Walmart. Whenever you see McDonald's go in, it's a great sign because McDonald's does all this very advanced diligence work because they want to be in growing markets with lots of population moving in, a lot of people to go in there and buy burgers and such. So, but, but those two guys, Walmart and McDonald's, are great people to follow around. Whenever you're looking at property and you see one of those two, or even better yet, both of them near the property, that's a great sign. Sure. Now, we're, now we're going to go over some, some sources of due diligence information. You know, you want to do good due diligence, like where, where do you go? And this is a list of things and places that, that Dave and I go all the time. Uh, the first one is uh, CREUniversity.com, which has a due diligence course on it. And it basically tells you everything you need to do day by day doing due diligence on a commercial property. And if you've not 
bought commercial property before, that's a great resource because it'll guide you piece by piece through the process of what you want to do so you don't forget or miss anything. For sure. And then, you know, the next item is, you know, basically some websites out there. You know, one is uh, bestplaces.net, and the other one is city-data.org. And, um, you know, basically best places in city data, you know, they're – you just have a huge wealth of information, you know, from, you know, you know, population increases, who the major employers are, you know, what are the, you know, price, you know, single-family housing, you know, you know, how many, you know, what what's the, you know, what percentage of that market is rental, um, and you know, what else is on there, Frank? Oh gosh, it's got it's just. It's got everything. It's amazing. It's got everything from uh, you know the demographics of the population of what what each little you know quadrant earns. It's got uh, future population growth. It's got so oh, just everything. It's got links. If you want to know if there's a metro market nearby, you can click on that. It'll tell you the metro market and all of its stuff. I mean, it's basically all the all the information the U.S. government has. In a, in a nutshell, laid out in great form, and then city data they even give you charts and graphs. So you can even visually see the data. All right, and you know that's something that you really need to you know you just you, know, you go to those websites and you you just uh, you know, before you ever tie up a property and when you're you know sourcing properties in different markets, um, you know it's a great place to you know to find good markets to actually go out and start looking for properties in those markets rather than you know, doing it in reverse because you don't want to waste your time you know putting a property under contract that it's in a horrible market. You're right. And see, one thing we find recently, which which is you know, a shocker, if you're not familiar with, is the very low unemployment in uh, certain parts of the Great Plains, right? Like, uh-huh. you know, in Nebraska and North Dakota and different places, they're running, you know, 4% unemployment in a time when America's running around 10 So you'll see all these weird things on best places in city data, a lot of it which you'll know, and then a lot of it you won't know. And you'll start seeing kind of different different options, different plays and markets and parts of America. It's absolutely fascinating. If you've never been there before, you really need to go there immediately and just put in your own zip code and look how accurate it is to where you live. Sure. Okay. Uh, you know, the next item is, you know, rentometer.com. That's R-E-N-T-O-M-E-T-E-R.com. And, you know, basically there you can go in and you can go to that website and, you know, look at, you know, what are the various rents um, for different you know, types of housing in each one of those markets. So, you know, when you're doing your diligence and checking comps, uh, this is a great place to go to, you know, see, you know, so what's, uh, what's that apartment charging? You know, what are the single-family housing, you know, rental prices and all of that? Right, exactly. Uh, next one is good old Google with Google Maps and Google Street View and Google Earth. See, the, you know, these are resources that allow you to see a property without leaving your home, right there from your desk or your laptop, wherever it may be. You know, the, the Street View part particularly is amazing. If you've never done this, go, go to Google Maps, go to Google, click on Maps, uh, and there's a little yellow guy, and you drag him over to the, the streets, which normally have a kind of a blue highlight of the areas they've got Street View on. And it gives you the ability right there from your computer to see that exact spot, 360 degrees. You can spin the guy around and look all the way around. Now, how they did this technologically is mind, mind-boggling. And you can then virtually drive up and down the streets as though you're right there in your car looking at the kind of neighborhood you're in, looking at what the property looks like. It's a, it's a phenomenal resource, so you definitely want to check that out. For sure. 
Uh, next item would be uh, Zillow um, and Realtor.com and you know all those various sites that you know show what's what's available for sale out there. Um, you know, mostly most of this would be single family, but you know there will be some duplexes and you know probably some apartments and things like that as well. But you know, you know if you're looking for commercial properties, you can go to you know LoopNet.com, or if they're you're going to look at niche properties, you can go to the niche you know niche websites out there like SelfStorages.com, MobileHomeParkStore.com, you know RVParkStore.com, and those type of items to you know, see what's you know, actually available in that market for sale. Right. It looks like we have to go to break here, but we'll be back in a minute and go over some more due diligence. This is Frank Roth and Dave Rounds with High Yield. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you are looking for the highest yielding niches in real estate, then go to Commercial Real Estate University at CREUniversity.com. This website is devoted to exploring the few niches of real estate that can still generate 20% plus returns on your money and offers you college-quality courses on how to locate, evaluate, negotiate, perform due diligence on, finance, turn around, and operate the hottest sectors of real estate today, mobile home parks, billboards, RV parks, and self-storage. All of the materials are written and produced by Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds based on their experiences in over $150 million of real estate bought and sold. If you're looking for real estate investments that make more than low single digits, and if you're looking for 100% facts with no sales pitch, then go to CREUniversity.com. Or call 800-950-1364. That number again is 800-950-1364. Or visit the website at CREUniversity.com. Security Mortgage Group, LLC, a full-service commercial mortgage broker, specializes in securing financing for manufactured home communities nationwide with minimum loan amounts starting at $500,000. Anthony J. DeMarco and Gerald D. DeMarco Jr. are the company's managing directors. Since 1990, they have placed over $3 billion in financing for community owners across the nation. Security Mortgage Group is a four-time recipient of the MHI's Community Lending Broker of the Year Award for their dedication and contributions to the manufactured housing industry. Please call their office today at 585-423-0230 or visit their website at www.securitymortgagegroup.net to discuss your transaction. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to High Yield with Frank Rolfe and Dave Reynolds. If you have a question or comment about our program this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or you can send an email to frank.rolfe at gmail.com. Now, back to High Yield. Welcome back to High Yield. Today we're talking about due diligence on commercial real estate and why that's such an important item to have a high yield in whatever commercial investment you make. We're wrapping up here some of the sources of information on due diligence, and the next one we'd like to go over are just the 
the Chamber of Commerce websites out there and many markets you can you can get on. It's always great to talk to the Chamber, and if they don't have a website, you should always definitely give them a call. I normally like to call and ask them who their top ten employers are, and additionally, what news stories there are of new things coming in. Some of the things that the Chamber knows may or may not have been listed yet on the Internet, so it might be new information to you. The, the top ten employers list, while we like to see that, is going back to our example of Duncan, Oklahoma, or Bartlesville, Oklahoma, you know, if, if there's just one employer, then he's everything. And normally when you ask them your top ten employers, you always ask them additionally how many people they employ. Because you, you kind of want to be, you know, you know, be very careful in markets where one person dominates that market. That, that can always be, a, you know, a scary thing. Because if that, if that one giant employer lays people off, well, the impact is gigantic. It would be, for example, if you're near you know, a military base, and the military base is the whole town, and they scale back, you know, what do you do? So you always want to check those chamber websites. And, the, and again, the most key item that Dave and I look for, you know, who are the top ten employers and how many folks do each of them employ? Because you'd like to see good diversity. For sure. Okay, and the, you know, really, the last item on our list is you know checking out various articles and you know news stories and lists and all that kind of stuff on Google. Um, you know, basically, you can go to Google and you can you know do a search for you know if you're looking at a property in Phoenix, Arizona, or you know even a smaller market, you, you know, type in Phoenix, Arizona, and you know you might want to find out you know new jobs, you know Phoenix, Arizona, you know em- employment, you know who's hiring, uh, you know all that type of thing. Um, yeah, you know, but there's you know tons of articles and you know all that kind of stuff. You know, you know, if you're if you're searching those markets, you'll see recent news stories. Okay, well this this company is hiring, this company is firing. You know, they're building a new Toyota plant in this in this in this area of town. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff is very very important, and you want to you know you know what's going on there before you get too far into your diligence process. Right. It's just amazing. You know, back, I mean, Dave, when did the Internet really start up and these things pop up? It's been within how many years ago now? Ten or Well, yeah, 15? I mean, yeah, probably, you know, the last four to five years, you know, just a lot of this you know, information has come out. You know, before that, it was pretty, you know, spotty on what you could find. But, yeah, the really last four to five years. Yeah, I mean, what an amazing thing to happen because now, you know, if you buy real estate, you know, you have all these websites that nobody could possibly pay to recreate on their own. It would be impossible to, to do these privately. And now here's all this amazing information, and it's free. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, imagine if Zillow, if Zillow charged you, you know, $500 to use their website, many people would still do it because there may be data on there. If you're trying to sell your house, you just got to know. So, you know, Rentometer, Best Places, all these places, you know, they, they could charge a ton of money and people would still pay it. So it's just it's just a godsend. It's free. It's amazing that it's free. So again, you know, if due diligence is important, which we assure you it is, what what better thing to have than the internet today that makes it so possible? All right. Well, now now we're going to go over just some some real estate stories, and we 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 want to put this segment on just to kind of empower you and give you the idea of what can be done in real estate as far as a high yield investment niche. So I'm just going to reel through these real fast. The first one is John Jacob Astor. Now, if you ever Google up John Jacob Astor, what you'll see is he was had almost a virtual monopoly on fur trading in the U.S. back in the 1800s. That was his day job, and you would think that's what made him rich. People, you know, they, they look up Astor, and 
I forgot what the name of his fur company was, but you know, he basically, if you know, if there was any furs in the U.S. being bought or sold, he he pretty much owned all those furs. He, he had trappers and he had agreements with Indians. It was just he was all over the place. But that's not where he made his money. Actually, he, I mean, he did well with the fur business, no doubt about it. But what he did was he plowed all of his fur earnings into buying land in this one little area, which is now called Manhattan. So he became the largest landowner in Manhattan, uh, owning at one time virtually all of Manhattan Island. And he did this uh, basically as his, as his hobby job, his night job. You know, he, he was out uh, doing the fur business by day, and then he would plow everything he didn't have to use for food into buying up Manhattan. And that's where the, the entire Astro Fortune came from. So he was, in fact, he, he is credited as the, as the first uh, American real estate millionaire because he was the first guy to ever actually see real estate investing as a, as a way to make, create wealth. Uh, the next one is Conrad Hilton. It's a great story. If you ever see the book, it's called The Man That Bought the Wal- Waldorf. Fascinating book of a guy who starts off with, with basically nothing. His parents own a a not very great adobe junkie motel in in uh, I think in Texas, Dave, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. And uh, at any rate, what he does is he, you know, really gets into hotels, goes out and builds this giant chain of modern hotels. And you think in the book that, that that's going to be it, but that's not it because he then loses all that in the Depression. But what happens is during the Depression years when he loses everything, he comes up with a new investment idea. His new investment idea is you only buy things during crashes like the Depression and never build anything because you can always buy things for you know, a penny on the dollar from the cost of building them because that's exactly what had happened to him. So now he has this new theory he's come up with. Well, now he needs to get it back in the game. So he goes to the banks that forecloses, that foreclosed on him and offers to pay, remain as the manager of those hotels. And since he'd been a good manager and nobody else really wanted the job during the Depression, he was able to get back just about every hotel he had ever owned as the manager, just like, you know, no ownership, just the manager. But while he's in the manager position, he's able to watch for the moment when the market will turn. And that that moment comes, of course, during World War II. So when World War II pops up, suddenly you have all these servicemen traveling America on trains and places going to their base or going to visit their family. Well, he, he then goes to the bank, seeing this trend is about to occur, and he buys all those hotels back that, that they had foreclosed on him on for a fraction of what he paid to build them. So if he had spent $2 million to build it, he'd buy it back for 200000 bucks. He did this with a bunch of investors that he had. Meanwhile, while he's been managing, he's been selling investors on his new theories on life. And it's, it's just amazing. It, at one point, he becomes the only guy out there really buying up hotels and ultimately ends up owning the plaza in New York, the Palmer House in Chicago. Basically, every, at that time, every luxury hotel in America of any, of any stature was owned by Conrad Hilton, uh, which he basically did starting with zero because he lost everything during the Depression. So it's a fascinating story. Uh, the next one is the story of Sam Zell. And, you know, you should Google that up sometime and look at, at this guy, because this guy does nothing small, that's for sure. I mean, Zell is the only guy in history to, at one time or, or the other, controlled the largest office building portfolio, the largest apartment portfolio, and the lo- largest mobile home and RV park portfolio in the U.S. You know, there are people who have owned 
or or could say they've done one of those items, but no one has ever done two and certainly not three. So at some point or other, Zelle has been the largest in everything he has ever invested in. Now, you know, that that is even more amazing when you look at the fact that he his parents were immigrants. So he started off with nothing, right? So here's a guy, he, he his parents are immigrants. I think he grew up in, in either New York or Chicago, <clears throat> but didn't have any money, went to college, and then just basically learned the real estate business to such a high level that he was able to dominate everything he got involved in. So basically, uh, whether it was office, whether it was apartment, whether it was mobile home park, whatever the case may be, if he was in it, he would ultimately become the largest at it. And if you also look through there, he was following a little bit of Conrad Hilton's uh, you know, uh, formula, because what, what he would normally do is he would get in these businesses back when things were doing terrible and amass giant holdings during the Depression, <clears throat> and then hold them until they came out of the Depression, and then use the new values to go in and refinance and buy more. So he's always been quite a, quite a force to reckon with in, in the world of real estate. Uh, and another one on here is a guy named Don Carter. This is a much smaller story than most people are unaware of, but Don Carter was a guy down in Dallas during the great savings and loan crisis, and his mother owned a company called Home Interiors and Gifts, which I don't think anyone today even knows the name of. But back then, had a had a, a, a fairly successful following in the mail order business. But what he did was he had cash flow from this Home Interiors and Gifts company, and during the the, uh, the savings and loan crash, he would go to these banks that had office buildings. And he would offer to buy the office building based on a 10% return on its existing cash flow. Well, on a lot of these buildings, of course, the cash flow was miserably bad because they had proformed it when they built the building to get rents of $30 and they were getting $5 and $1. But they, they didn't really have any buyers with money. And he had the money from his mom's mail order company. So he started buying up and at one point was the largest office building holder in Dallas which he literally bought for a, a penny on the dollar. I mean, it was amazing how bad values were. I think the, the uh, Arco building, for example, in Dallas, which they built for $100 million, sold for $15 million during the crash. So at any rate, you know, th- those are some great stories. But, you know, there's one story that we've left out. It's one of the greatest stories of all, and that, and that might be you, whoever's listening to the show. You know, real estate is an unusual animal because one one thing it brings to the table is it brings to the table leverage and the ability to actually buy things with sometimes zero down, sometimes 10%, 20%, 30%. It allows you to, to buy things with banks additionally jumping in there and allowing you to, you know, create wealth in a manner you couldn't do on your own without that leverage. And, you know, there, there's many still unwritten stories of, of great real estate owners and success stories to, uh, of the future, and you might be one of those folks. When you look back at Astor, Hilton, Zell, what do they all have in common? They all start off with nothing, absolute zero, and built these giant empires out of nothing. And so, you know, there's really nothing holding anyone back who's a listener. You, 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 you could do that. You could be the next Zell. You could be the next Hilton. So we just want to tell you those stories to give you, you know, just just a little, you know, affirmation that not only is real estate a very high yield niche, but additionally, it's something that's very attainable by everybody listening in. So uh, that's it for this week at High Yield. This is Frank Roth and Dave Reynolds. We're glad you were here, and we'll be back next week. Thanks a lot, everybody. 
Thanks again for tuning in to High Yield. Please join Frank and Dave next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great and profitable week. We'll be right back.